Have you, listener, recently hit difficult workplace hurdles? Despite a resume that seems pretty good from the outside, it's hard to be happy in life when we're unhappy in our careers, and those of us who constantly compete with ourselves to do better, be better, whose pride and very identities are inextricably tied to achieving, feel it particularly hard when work stops going well. Who are we if we're failing to live up to the expectations we've set for ourselves? If this scenario resonates with you, Happy High Achiever is here to help. Courtney Bryan, HHA's founder, started the company to provide support and resources for high-achieving employees who hit significant professional obstacles, often for the first time. Interested? Check out happyhighachiever.com backslash upzones to learn more, join the newsletter, and access a special Friends of the Pod rate on coaching packages. Our sponsor is Happy High Achiever, and this is Upzones. You have to elect yourself, Jamie. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. The essence of propaganda, says French sociologist Jacques Ellul, is indignation. Many of my listeners may be familiar with the local anti-homelessness hit piece by Como News titled Seattle is Dying that ran a little over a week ago. If you're not, please do not give those ill-advised people at Como more clicks. The essence is this. Seattle is, well, dying, a result of a perfect storm of lefty policies combined uh, to enable drug addiction, going soft on crime, and all the other right-wing buzz bingo buzzwords you would expect from a news network wholly owned and operated by Sinclair Broadcasting. Real Change founding director Timothy Harris, who I should in good faith give credit for surfacing the Elul quotation uh, earlier referenced, called the piece Misery Porn. Screw all those troubling reality-based studies that say incarceration for poverty crimes mostly worsens the outcomes, he says, or that forced treatment usually fails. We just want to nail these guys because it's a convenient target. Joel Connolly at the Seattle Post-Intelliger asks, why would 108,000 people have moved here in the last decade if Seattle were a dying city? He also points out that if your news special is being picked up by notorious inveterate bigot Tucker Carlson, you're probably on the wrong side of history. Over at the News Tribune, Matt Driscoll points out that we do have a homelessness problem, but not what Como wants you to think. The problem is the way we talk about homelessness and the homeless here in Seattle King County. Connolly mentions, and this is key, all the emails he's been receiving since the propaganda piece aired from concerned citizens calling it spot on and asking why he doesn't focus more on the criminality implicit in homelessness. Which brings me to Upzones. This little show is 47 episodes in. A little over a year. While the premise has been city building, the reason I decided to launch this thing wasn't my devotion to eliminating exclusionary zoning or my desire to see a transit stop on every street corner on the way to the eradication of private cars in every city. Those are great. But my motivation for launching UpZones was significantly less sophisticated. It was Donald J. Trump. I saw what Trumpism did to the country, not merely organizing an electoral coalition around resentment but actively fomenting and creating that resentment, that indignation. A simple look at the number of Obama to Trump switchers across swing states nationwide in 2016 shows us that while race was one of the central motivating factors in the election, that factor wasn't inevitable. 
that Trump created and curated the consideration set for American voters using his bully pulpit to shift the political center of gravity toward baser, more primal, more tribal issues than a truly enlightened leader would ever do. I, I may be small potatoes. I may only have a few hundred listeners, but dangerous nonsense like what Trump and now Como so readily and willingly peddle to the American voter was the reason I started this show. It is so easy to fall away from community building into tribal anger, into blaming the less fortunate. We need all the reminders we can get that a healthy society builds itself up from the inside, doesn't tear itself down, doesn't blame the least fortunate, doesn't result to empty claims of law and order or neighborhood character when those things are a mask for selfishness. Successful society celebrates city builders, not sprawl makers, brings us together, sometimes kicking and screaming, rather than drawing lines between us. The Como piece references a, quote, seething, simmering anger that is now boiling over into outrage. The problem with such language is that it calls exactly that, anger, outrage, into being. The folks who this hit piece targets affluent white homeowners who vote Democrat but are otherwise prone to policies like zoning, segregation, regressive taxation that are shown to increase homelessness, will see the Como piece in their largely uninformed views on the issue, ranging mostly from complete disinterest to moderate annoyance, now have the catalyst needed to crystallize into something much stronger. Anger. Indignation. And indignation and anger and outrage Undo the center. Political revolution, Como tells us, is in the air. Do you want to be part of the same revolution that spent eight years nationally undermining the presidency of Barack Obama and then all of 2016 propping up Donald J. Trump and his supporters? I don't. Ethan P. Goodman, one of my two guests this week, is a software developer, entrepreneur, and civic organizer. He's the founder and executive director of Tech for Housing, a nonprofit education and advocacy group that engages the tech sector on housing and homelessness. He's also the founder of Seattle in Progress, a real estate tech consultancy and website tracking construction in Seattle. Laura Lowe, founder of Share the Cities, is an educator, musician, and gardener from Columbia by way of New York, L.A., and Chicago, who has now lived in Seattle since 2009. Her writing has appeared in Data for Progress, The Urbanist, Seattle Globalist, South Seattle Emerald, and International Examiner. She's an active voice for women, especially women of color, in urbanist spaces. Both have appeared on the show before, and I wanted to get them together to talk about where we are in the state of policymaking around housing and homelessness. You know, actually building a solution versus just demonizing the worst off. It was a great chat, and I learned a lot. Ethan and Laura. Double my Patreon donors, and I'll be fine. There you go. It does happen sometimes. I your episodes the most, are always the the most listened. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll wait to say this on the air, but the, yeah, you're the, back on the air. I just, I just okay. Good. Pause. The most, the most money I ever got for Patreon was when Elizabeth Campbell photoshopped burning homes in my eyes. Oh yeah, yeah. And it yeah. was this badass photo from when I had a shaved head. And, like, I had done, like, a filter with fake sunglasses, and she just added some homes, and I ended up, I got $200 more a month in 24 hours, just for being, like, 
Just from being like Photoshop. So well, that's what happens when I need uh, some more manufactured troll. Well, that was like the uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez when it, when they thought they were going to troll her with that yes. dance video, and everyone was like, "This is kind of cool." Yes, <laughs> she was in college once. <laughs> and I moved to Queen Anne, and I'm in the same next door as of today with Elizabeth Campbell. So I get to see her oh. next door posts. Wow. And I'm going to go to the Queen Anne Community Council on April 3rd. Mm. And I'm organizing, like, so far I have at least six people that are going to go with me. Sabotage. I love it. No, it's all transparent. It's, it's d- democratage. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I'm uh, here with Laura and Ethan. How are you guys doing? Doing great. I know we have at least one marriage since we last all spoke. That was me. Are you pointing to yourself? Because I've been married. Uh, well, you've been married a while. Well, like no. eight months. I'm not sure when I was on last. You had married and a baby. I already. I was already married and had a baby last time I was on. Okay. Then no, no news here. I think you had the baby coming. That could be. I think it was like right in that middle period. <laughs> yes. There was a few months, only yeah. a couple months between the marriage yeah, and the right, baby. Right. And I moved after 10 years in the U District to Queen Anne right. from the U District. That's so right. well, those are lots of big changes. Which makes being in a band a little harder. That is probably what Queen Anne, they're not, I don't know, they're just not as cool about yeah, anyway. <laughs> I'm not going to start off insulting my new neighborhood. I'll, I'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> Trying to get me in trouble. And I'm, I moved to Wallingford four weeks ago oh. from First Hill. I've been on the hill, First Hill or Capitol Hill, for six, seven years before that. So. Wow, we both moved to like yeah. the worst community councils. I know. I can. Jo- I could, in theory, join the Wallingford Community Council. I don't think I will. I don't have the strength I that you have. I didn't know you moved to Wallingford. It just happened. It was just unpacking more stuff today. Congratulations. Thank you. Congrats. That's that's big news all around. Everybody's got some new stuff going on. That's what I was hoping to talk about. You replaced my D4 vote. There you go. Oh, I got to lobby you. It's a balance in the yeah. universe still. What is that? <laughs> District 4. Uh, City Council. Yeah. Sean. he now, yeah. now he's... Yeah. Yeah. Sean's going to come on. He says he will. I told him I'm one of those neoliberals he hates, but he said it'll be fun. We'll talk, so. <laughs> he actually doesn't hate neoliberals. Okay. Well, good. I don't really hate anybody either, so yeah. we'll, we'll have a good time. He finds us amusing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put myself in that category. Uh, amuse? 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 <laughs> amuse uh, What's the word? <laughs> Amusement. <laughs> Amusement is better than hatred, so I'll yes. take it here. Yeah. So I wanted to have you guys on to talk about what's new. I know we just had a legislative session, and you guys are pretty tuned into that, and there's been a lot happening on the council, too. We're still in the middle of a legislative session. Yeah. So well, there's right. lots right. going on. Yeah. Right. What's most important to you, Ethan, right now? Well, you know, three, four weeks ago, I would have said MHA, the Mandatory Housing Affordability, but that's passed now, so we don't have to talk about it anymore for the first time in, like, four years. I think it's important to celebrate, though. I yes, mean, it is. It, it's, it's insufficient. But it, yes. is, it is progress. And I was looking at the map today, right? And it really, what had been upzoned as an urban village prior was so paltry. And mm-hmm. now this at least kind of covers the city, right? It's like a chicken pox, but it like, yeah. at least it spreads out around various neighborhoods and seems to kind of have more proportionate coverage. So it's, it's exciting that at least we got it. There's so much to celebrate. Not the legislation, but there's so much to celebrate. I think the things to celebrate are cheesy things, the friendships that were formed, the groups that were formed, the movement that was created. At the very beginning, Seattle for Everyone was formed, and the way I describe it is by grass tops. And it, there was groups that were seated with no one in them. Like there was Facebook groups made it made for different neighborhoods, like Roosevelt for Everyone, U District for Everyone, Downtown for Everyone. And there was nobody in those groups to begin with. And, like, now we have organic groups that have sprung up. We have, you know, the Miller Park Yabers, and we have Wallingford, uh, Welcoming Wallingford, 
and I'm starting Queen Anne for everyone. And like, those are groups that are actually based in um, a volunteer moment where people got fired up about something in their community and wanted to be pro future and pro housing. And if we hadn't had that kind of like manufactured grass top stuff four years ago, sowing the seeds for placeholders for future activism, I think it gave this all of us like kind of a framework to plug into. And the fact that there was a funded organizer for housing. So many cities don't have that. We had Aaron House and now we have Patience and we had Angela Compton and we've had like a paid organizer dedicated to that that's helped the rest of us that are volunteers and supported us and, and kind of like done kind of the boring behind the scenes like bureaucratic stuff when the rest of us could just get people to show up right. like Ethan and in Tech for Housing and Share the Cities and before that other other things. So And, and I would add to that there's all the community organizing that's happened, which is super, super important. And then to your comment about the grass tops, there's you know the heads of major companies and major nonprofits and major advocacy groups, they're sort of all on the same page of a unions. vision and unions on board. The unions like, have gone to every single yeah. MHA hearing and they've come with at least four people and testified as a group and they've, because they can do it, they've showed up first and they, so they're usually like one of the first voices you'll hear at a three hour hearing. Mm -hmm. And in the past, the first voice you would hear at a three-hour hearing would be Alex Zimmerman. <laughs> right. And so now you're hearing, like, not a Nazi salute is the first thing. Maybe Alex is, like, 12th. Right. So there's, like, you might you might start off hearing, like, I want more neighbors and I want a climate-resilient city. And, like, right. you'll hear those things first now. That's awesome. And for, like, King 5 that shows up for 10 minutes of a hearing, then we get our soundbite heard. That's, and that's so huge, right? That slice of the pie, excuse me. Well, so you actually mentioned that now that's in the past. What are you, what are you looking yeah. forward to? What's coming next? Well, you know, there's still a month more obsession in Olympia. So I'm pretty focused on that for now. But as soon as that's done with, there'll be council races here in Seattle. Right. So I, we probably want to talk about both. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, one of the things that I saw in, in Olympia, and I, I wish I understood better, but that's why I have you on. There's There's been some, like, condo reform mm -hmm. and stuff. and. Mm -hmm. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, just some general housing reform stuff yep. going through the committee in the legislature. What, what's, what's new? What should listeners be calling their reps about? <laughs> so there's so much happening. It's hard to give an overview. This is a packed year for housing in Olympia, really unlike other years. This is a special year. And I think that's because there's just voters care about housing right now. Like, I think the Democrats finally had enough of a majority that they felt like they could do something. There's also that. And so, and the type of leadership that you had, people like Nicole Macri mm -hmm. are really like inspirational. I mm -hmm. went down to Olympia for the first time in my life after living here for 10 years. And I watched Nicole in the hallway and everyone was just like waiting in line to talk to her, like all the mm -hmm. other legislators. And you could just see she was like a magnet, or like it's like a beehive. And and Mia Gregerson mm -hmm. by Palumbo started a conversation. Nicole Macri started a conversation. None of the stuff, everything's watered down. We still don't have enough. We have too many purple Democrats that are siding with Republicans. We have too many on, on zoning issues, land on issues. everything, uh, on everything. We mm -hmm. still have too, we still have too much power in the state legislature, especially at the Senate level, um, concentrated in the hands of folks that like 
don't get what's going on in Seattle mm-hmm. and don't get that what goes on in Seattle is, is impacting them and that they should support what we need. And then we have people here, like on transit, that you'd think would be allies that aren't. And that's really upsetting. Yeah. Transit's and a I know Tech for Housing has yeah. been really involved with uh, transit a little bit. A like little you've been kind of loud yeah. in supporting like other coalitions and other groups. Yeah. Let's talk about the city council. What yeah. What do you want to see? What do I want to see for city council? Yeah. Well, you know, the last council that we've had for two years has been unanimous on every vote on MHA. And most of them ran saying they would support MHA. So that was sort of expected. And they've supported it. They've passed it. I think the next election is going to be, to some extent, a referendum on that. That and probably homelessness, how the city council has handled homelessness, will be... You mean the beheadings? <laughs> the beheadings, right. right. For right. those voters who are concerned about beheadings, it's... Right. Yeah. <laughs> so help me with a little clarity here. What should listeners be looking for? What are the buzzwords to be wary of from anti-kind of housing advocates? What are yeah. the right things to be saying? For... Historic preservation, <laughs> character, livability... Neighborhood planning. These are all buzzwords. Yeah. Hard to live. So if you hear if you hear a candidate saying, I want more neighborhood planning, I'm really worried about livability, concurrency, which is this idea that you need, you know, buses coming every five minutes before you can put an apartment building in a neighborhood. Like all of those are dog whistles. So they all sound great and they all match my values. Like I want tree canopy to be protected. I want frequent transit and communities. I want all that stuff, of course. Like, of course, like, if we could wave a magic wand and have density and transit happen at the same moment, that would be amazing, right? <laughs> like, it doesn't mean that urbanists or YIMBYs or pro-housing people or pro-transit people don't want tree canopy preservation and, you know, parks without needles. And, like, we want all those things. We have the same values. It's when when the other side is using that, they're actually saying other things. So I think for the listener that's not, you know, deep in the middle of this, if you hear a candidate saying something, you're like, oh, those are all my values. Like, I want clean parks for my kids. And of course, I want transit to come at the same time. Like, yes, yes. But who the messenger is more important than the message. What else have they supported? What have they posed? You know, are they, you know, do they want like, almost people put on an island. Right. Like, yeah. like they may share your values in terms of what they're saying, but like, what are their solutions? Right. That's right. And with backyard cottages, we have people spreading such misinformation about what O'Brien's cottage legislation is going to do. And so I just encourage folks to listen, listen to the council members. You have enough diversity in approach on council members that you'll get the range of nuance of what that legislation actually does without having to trust someone like Marty Kaplan that's out there with his very ego-driven agenda against Mike O'Brien. Tell uh, us to Marty Kaplan. So Marty Kaplan was on the Planning Commission. He has a background. He used to be involved with FutureWise, I believe. He considers himself an environmentalist. He's a very wealthy Queen Anne homeowner architect who feels personally slighted by the direction that the council is going and really has co-opted the Queen Anne Community Council for his own bidding. Mm-hmm. And they all like like him enough and respect him enough because he can run a good enough meeting and like they've all known each other for 20 years that he's raised $40,000 to fight the city's backyard cottage 
reform. And this isn't to make backyard cottages legal. This is just to make it cheaper to build in a housing crisis so that more people can build them. And instead of getting 80 a year, which is nothing, maybe we could get a couple hundred. Yeah. It's like, this is such a minor thing. Just like MHA is such, such a tiny thing and such a big fight, this backyard cottage thing is such a tiny amount of housing, but every little bit helps. So I'm curious where, just to bring it back to the yeah. city council, mm-hmm. what is Tech for Housing's kind of bumper sticker position this race? Like, what are you mm-hmm. looking for in a candidate? Well, so one thing to be clear on is we um, don't endorse candidates. Of course. So, you know, we're not endorsing any particular candidate, but we're going to look for candidates that want to go bolder and bigger than what was done on MHA. We want to look at candidates who, of course, want to get the ADU legislation passed if it isn't passed by the time Accessory of the election. Accessory dwelling units. Accessory dwelling, backyard cottages. Yes. Yeah. Granny um, flats. And then we want uh, candidates who are willing to think about what's uh, what are bigger solutions, what are solutions that are really at the scale of the problem, both on adding housing options to every neighborhood, breaking down sort of neighborhood exclusivity, uh, and funding the affordable housing we need. Uh, so we want candidates who are willing to say, you know, voters are ready to really think bigger on all these questions. Laura, how do we get out of this trap of fighting, kind of like stepping over dollars to pick up pennies? Right. <laughs> That's a great expression. Yeah, it just it le- legislatively, right? Like, how do we keep getting drawn into these fights over eighty cottages? Um, local media, like like the TV stations that just want like a soundbite, mm-hmm. and our side not being ready with the soundbites. Mm-hmm. Like the other side is ready with their soundbites that will get on the news. And our side hasn't been like the people in nonprofits are scared of making their donors mad. Their donors tend to be wealthy, single family homeowners that want to preserve all these things. So you have a lot of people scared to be honest and scared to say to their board member, you know, that helps them, that's helped them for 20 years, say like, hey, you know what? You're wrong. We're going this other direction. Mm -hmm. And so it's up to the like people that don't have those kinds of boards to speak up. But we don't have the, like, staff and the, like, professional, you know, ability to come up with that media strategy. So I think it's just, it's like our movement is growing up. And so as you have pro-housing groups kind of grow into being more professional, we'll be able to reach the media the way these really wealthy folks that have, some of these people have been doing this for 20 years, just on different issues, Marty Kaplan didn't just start on backyard cottages right. like right. yesterday. Right. Like I started doing this work two years ago. Right. right. So it's right. like when I've been doing this for 20 years, I'll be able to play this game too. Mm-hmm. But right now. What's the message? What is the message that we want out there? What's more the neighbors. More neighbors. More neighbors. More neighbors, less cars. <laughs> it's not just about density. It's about why can only rich people live near Seward Park or near Discovery Park? why does it take my mom paying my rent for me to afford to live in Queen Anne? And they're not really worried about a renter that can't live in their community. Mm-hmm. So. But what makes them worry about it? This is what I, kind of the crux of. What's going to get a District 7 candidate to worry? Yeah. Shame, being shamed. Mm-hmm. Like being hounded and shamed. And being <laughs> being told like. Being saying you're feeding into exclu- exclusionary language. You're feeding into an exclusionary mindset. Like, do you want your kids to not be able to afford to live here one day? 
Especially some of these people that are like, I'm fifth generation Queen Anne, blah, blah, blah. It's like... Your kids won't be sixth generation. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Well, and the message that sort of new housing is bad has been around and sort of generally accepted at least since the, I don't know, early 70s. So there's, you know, generations of people who never even questioned this notion that trying to build something somewhere is a almost inherently evil act right. that or, can go unquestioned very yeah. easily. And this notion that, no, actually what cities need is well thought out new buildings and more housing is fairly new that that's entered the public consciousness. So um, I think it's going to take also just more time for not for elected officials to hear that message because they've been hearing it for a few years, but to trust that voters will vote with those values because yeah. that's still pretty new. That's the, really the crux of it, right, is this, this sea change in actually mentality of, you know, I, I, I've encountered people who just don't understand, uh, I'm talking about at a, at a cocktail party or, or, or even at work when it's, when it's a situation appropriate to talk about politics, you know, we, we talk about this and people go, oh, you're one of those, right? They just don't understand that why you, zoning is such a black cat to me, you know? People don't understand zoning or land use, but if you say, you know, is your kid's school segregated by class or race, and you start talking about it that way, mm-hmm. they'll understand, and and they want to be liberal. like when you go <laughs> when you when you, when you go to the park in your neighborhood, who's playing at the park, mm-hmm. who's there, you know, and why, who's at your local pool swimming in the summertime, why, you could probably visit all the the, the swimming pools in our city. And see the class and race segregation, and then and then you work backwards from that, because right. the outrage isn't going to come. Our outrage comes from zoning. Because we understand first cause. No one else's. Yeah. No one else's outrage yeah. isn't going to come yeah. from zoning. Yeah. Like yeah. like no one else is going to be like, oh my gosh, this exclusionary zoning is. We've got to do something about it. <laughs> we need like, more stories. Yeah yeah no 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 nobody you know the things people will care about is like oh I'm so sick of getting in my car every time I run out of toilet paper. Mm-hmm. That's what people get mad about. Mm-hmm. Well, imagine if you had somewhere you could walk to, you could buy toilet paper, a little mm-hmm. corner store with a cute cat. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about AOC. She just tweeted out about bodega cats. Right. And I was like, yes, yeah. that's like the mascot of, the- of my movement is four floors and corner stores and bodega cats in every neighborhood. And There's a corner in Seward Park that needs a grocery store with three stories above it. You know, you know the uh, Rogue? Is it called Rogue down there in Seward Park? I, I want the riffraff in Seward Park. I, mean, I, I want to come in. <laughs> riffraff. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm clearly <laughs> joking, but there, there's a there's a great little corner that it's like dying for, and it's just a, it's just grass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's grass next to a bar. So let's go. Let's put a. It's people's self interest, public isolation, um, but convenience, wanting their kid to have friends that aren't just as wealthy as they are. Um, Which some folks, you know. that doesn't inspire some. No, it just, doesn't. But but, but like those, uh, yeah. I mean, those people you get with a different message. You get with you know more. There is conservative message, conservative messaging, that I don't think any of us are doing enough of mm. around zoning because a lot of us are scared to be. I'm scared to be completely isolated from the left, mm-hmm. so I don't use that like property rights. I do. Mm. <laughs> right, it depends on what, what yeah, who yeah. you're around. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It's interesting that you say that scare from the left. Do you yeah. guys think and, that there's? Oh, and I'd say tech for housing. We feel that too, and we stay away from language about supply and demand because I don't think anybody wants to hear what 
tech people think of supply and demand. Like it's just not an argument that's going to carry weight. It's going to cause eye rolls if right. we start talking about it's basic economics. Like right. that's a great way to lose an argument is to just say it's basic economics. Right. But it is. It may be, but that's not right, a good rhetorical. If you're talking to the right person, it could yeah. be, I guess. Is yes. With some audiences that can yeah. work. With and the general public, not, not so a very much. good message. I am curious what you guys think about. There is like a, there is kind of a, a, a urbanist kind of socialist friction that doesn't need to be there if it, are you worried that that will... Everything's that... fine, right? Everything's going good. we got Sean Scott. Yeah, We've got there, all these, like... Is there as much friction as no, there No, no, let me tell you. Let me tell you. So everything, everything's <laughs> going... Everything's been going great for about a year or so. Everything's going cool, right? Okay. Okay. And then the LA Tenants Union, DSA, just came out with this FIMBY medium post. What's FIMBY? public housing in my backyard, oh. right? And it's this blast of YMB and it's all the San Francisco nonsense. And all of a sudden, everybody I know who's like left organizer, like, you know, super, just super, is all of a sudden like coming at me and attacking mm -hmm. me and my private messages and in person. And like every time that nonsense happens in California, it spills over into my world. Mm -hmm. All the progress I make in terms of getting people to like, see me show up in on the Capitol steps for a tenants rally and like all the stuff that I do. And it's not just performative, but I won't lie that some of it is like, I need to show up. So they saw me there. Like, yes, some of it, the, 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 I always say the road to real equity is paved with a bunch of fake equity, <laughs> right? Like I am, I am going to show up at every tenants rights event until people are like, okay, she showed up at every single one. Like, this wasn't just performative. But maybe the first five are going to be, right? But eventually, I'm going to, like, people are going to trust me. But the, the, the trust that gets eroded, any trust that I feel gets eroded so quickly the minute that some nonsense from California happens around DSA and Yimby, and it's, it's just so, it's so fast. It just spreads like wildfire. What are you seeing? You, that, you know, I grew up in California, but very purposely moved to Washington <laughs> instead of California when I was moving like when, eight when, years ago. When, when AOC had the victory of getting Amazon to not be in Brooklyn, <laughs> uh -huh. how did that impact tech for housing? That would be the analogy. Is, mm -hmm. is how when something like that happens in another city, mm -hmm. it does impact people's idea about tech and housing and supply and demand and those kinds of things, even if you had nothing to do with it. Yep. And yep. so, like, that's how I feel is that, like, that stuff that happens nationally, no matter how we're doing this work, it's like we have to then readjust and readjust and readjust. Yeah, I think that's true. I also think on a personal level, I keep some blinders on. I read the news, but the stuff that comes out of California is so often unproductive. I just personally try to see as little of it <laughs> as yeah. possible because yeah. we have a better culture here around politics and disagreements very far from perfect but you know it's, it's really way, toxic way, down in california way. and i no. just don't need more of that yeah i don't life. think it's toxic here but there is that friction yeah but you think it's getting better that was my i thought it was getting better i think disagree. that i think it is getting better i just think that like a lot of people that might be listening to this might live outside of the state or they might live in the state and follow stuff outside of the state and Look to our actions. Like, look at the work that Tech for Housing has done standing alongside to ask for more money for the Housing Trust Fund. Mm -hmm. Look to Share the Cities working really hard 
with folks that are working on a homelessness bill of rights in Olympia. Mm-hmm. Like the work, where, where are we spending our time? Where, what, you know, social media use isn't always a good measure of the time that an organization is spending on something, but it's not nothing. And the amount of energy that Tech for Housing spends on deeply affordable housing is exponentially bigger than probably like most people would be most people would be surprised how much how much of it is on deeply deeply affordable 30% area median income or below um, housing solutions which is specifically an action that is taken that shows hey we don't think the market is going to help for mm-hmm. the, these folks and they don't have to be out there screaming that because they're actually putting their organizing energy and their social media time into that fight. And it's a place where I think we can be particularly effective because we're a bit of an unexpected voice. Yes. Because people, elected officials particularly, don't necessarily expect tech to show up to support the housing trust fund. We also support condo liability reform, but that's sort of understandable and expected. Because it's a self It's not going to raise an eyebrow like, oh, tech supports condo liability reform, never thought, but tech supporting the housing trust fund, that's... Um, I think that's interesting mm-hmm. in some way. And so, you know, we focus a lot on actions like that where we can have a more unique or unexpected voice. And so, yeah, deeply affordable housing uh, is one of those things. I would also say on the on the point to, you know, kind of the, the further left and the urbanist sides coming together, look at Teresa Mosqueda, who's yeah. very progressive and very outspoken on the need for more housing and melds those two without any travel to whatsoever. New York to speak out against Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> like definitely not, you know, definitely not quiet and, yeah, well, and a big, big labor organizer. And, you know, she, I don't even know that she would phrase it as speaking out against Amazon necessarily, though. It was, a, it was cautioning, cautioning about cautioning, policies that need to be put yeah, in place yeah. to effectively harness Amazon's growth. I is mean, yeah. probably yes. how she was no, putting no, it. Correct. That, that whole scenario was misrepresented by everyone. Sure. I mean, it was, uh, you know, AOC didn't stop anything. She just talked. It was my, uh, other people in the local government that, that uh, I think it was more about housing, right, than it was about the tax breaks. The, the folks in, in Long Island City were afraid that massive, wide-scale displacement would occur yeah. exactly as it has occurred in the other city that Amazon occupied. occupied. Yeah. Uh, it was just I, 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 reading that was like a blood I think that I think that things to celebrate in Seattle that I have nothing to do with, but that your listeners should know about the Liberty Bank building just opened mm-hmm. yesterday, and that's yeah. that is emotionally, hopefully a a catalyst for people to not feel just complete despair. Well, tell me more about that. So Liberty the Liberty Bank. Bank project is a collaboration among Africa Town and Wyking Garrett and Capitol Hill Housing and a bunch of other folks that I'm going to forget. And it's um, right in the heart of, of ground zero of displacement in Seattle for the black community at 23rd and Union. And this project is one of a kind in the country in terms of minority contractors, minority workers on the project, you know, workforce agreements, who's going to occupy the the ground floor retail in terms of trying to re-anchor the black community and and as Wigan calls it, the African diaspora in Seattle. And so looking at that project, very unique, almost fell apart, so many different funding sources, so much creativity had to go into that, 
so complicated politically not reproducible right. <laughs> right but 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 in terms of a beacon of hope in terms of saying to this community we white folks with money and political clout didn't didn't totally give up and were were there fighting alongside black folks and this is definitely not perfect but it's considered a much better example of inclusive, equitable, community-based development compared to, like, Yesler, which inspires a lot of anger, right? right? Like, Yesler's not a pure, pure project. It makes a lot of people angry mm -hmm. and a lot of people happy and a lot of people, like, tout Yesler as amazing. But if you look at Roberto Maestro Plaza and that project and you look at Liberty Bank and we have these kind of, like, keystone grounding projects yeah. for inclusive development and there's the Equitable Development Initiative, which only has $6 million dollars, I would be looking to candidates that are talking about the Equitable Development Initiative, giving it more funding, um, giving it more autonomy, you know, really, really looking at development as a good for a community, not a bad, because this idea that came about through the mandatory housing affordability conversation where people like Lisa Herbold were trying to, like, suppress growth to suppress displacement, that's not fact-based. Yeah. It's emotion-based, and I understand why people think that, but it's that same bad San Francisco thinking, right? Mm -hmm. right? But this idea that we can have inclusive, equitable development and jumpstart and seed people to kind of like seize the means of production of development. For like them empower to the community. To develop. But it's not even the word. It's not even empower. It's fund. Yeah. <laughs> right. Empower they have the empower. Like, like, <laughs> like the idea. The idea that like some like somebody with power is going to empower the black community to me even still is colonial and patriarchal. Yeah. They already yeah. have the power. It's yeah. it's they need the money. They just need the money, and they need everyone to back off. And magic happens. And this is an example of a magical, amazing project that we need more of. And. The Puget Sound Sage is working with Teresa Mosqueda, mm -hmm. and they just did a lunch and learn. So if people look up on Seattle Channel, um, that would be something like everybody should watch. It's a video. It was from this past Thursday, and it was uh, equitable development lunch and learn. And I was you, you were there. Right? Yeah, I was there, and yeah. I saw all the speakers. And uh, I think one thing that's important to note is you know there were maybe six different organizations there, and I don't think one of them said their goal was to stop development, exactly, or keep new housing, exactly, out which is, which is of communities of color. Their goal was we want community controlled development, we want equitable, inclusive development, uh, and absolutely, I think that's progress. And you're right that with places like Liberty Bank, there are examples that can be pointed to, which is. Which is a start. <laughs> yeah, and the the retail that's around um, the retail that's around Beacon Hill Station. Mm -hmm. What do you think organizing energy should be directed toward in the next six months? Well, cottages. <laughs> getting backyard cottages passed certainly, uh, and the election. I mean, the election's going to be a referendum on all of these things. The election's going to set the tone for what we talk about for the next four years. And there's a real danger that we get some really reactionary candidates in there because. Like talked in, about. in the real sense of the word, that's the, probably working in corporate America as I do. That's probably the most misused word. And people mm -hmm. just think it means reactive, right? Reaction, reactionary uh, candidates is a major risk in the city right now. Yeah. Because we've it's, had just enough change to be dangerous, not enough to be sufficient. Well, and the messaging around homelessness focuses on you know, criminalizing homelessness and public safety arguments. I'm 
worried about how many people will be persuaded by those arguments and go with candidates that are probably much more far right than voters even realize. Yeah. I think that's a, yeah, that's that's a, that's a real up, danger. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you, when you have like Huckabee and uh, Palin and other people sharing the Seattle is dying and commenting on it, yeah. the Como report that was all filled yeah. with inaccuracies, it's, 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 I'm very paranoid. <laughs> and so I believe all of this is extremely not an accident and purposely timed with our election. And, you know, I've been saying this for like a year is that watch what's going to happen. Like I've been telling anyone who would listen, like watch, watch the national right wing propaganda machine kick into high gear for our council election. They want to make an example of us. Like in the most, you know, liberal city in America we were able to make all these inroads. Right. Because it's, it's, it can be like, un, I don't want to use this word, but like a symbol of hope for their side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That they can, you know, if we could do it there, we can do it anywhere. Well, let's shut them down. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, thanks for coming on. That was the quickest 45 minutes I've ever experienced. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are awesome. You know what, bonus tracks? Well, we, oh, we got... We got bonus tracks for days. <laughs> um, thanks for coming on. Thanks I, for having me. I do me. have a uh, question for both of you before we wrap. Okay. If you care about, you should. Ethan, you go. Let's see. If you care about Seattle's future in the next four years, you should pay a lot of attention to this coming council election. Quick, dirty, easy. Great. What do you got, Laura? If you care about people living outside, make sure that they feel safe. That they feel safe. Not that you feel safe, that they feel safe. Mm. What makes them feel safe? And if you don't know, talk to people that know. What makes them feel safe? Who knows? Who knows for the listeners? Seattle King County Coalition on Homelessness. There's a wonderful group of folks at Seattle University, Sarah Rankin. There's the University District Conversation on Homelessness is a once a month meeting that's open to anyone. And it's a wonderful group of providers. And it's a meeting when I go to it, I just feel hopeful about the future. I see really good, kind, wonderful people there doing amazing direct service. Don't don't listen to news bites, the local news. Go go talk to people that are working every day with folks that are living outside, not by choice. Laura, Ethan, thank you so much for being on the show. Round two for both of you. And I hope we get a lot of good news this year. Yeah. Me too. Thanks for having me. That was Laura Lowe of Share the Cities. Check them out at Share the Cities all over social media. And Ethan Goodman of Tech for Housing. If that's your industry and you care about housing, affordability, and the homeless, check him out all over social media. All music, as always, by The Subcons. Dope opening poetry sample, as always, by Anthony McPherson. Sound by Naboo and myself. This has been a Cascadia Underground production. And who is me? Well, I'm your host, Ian Martinez. My favorite. We'll see you next week.